0: Yeah, what I wanted to talk about um, this evening um, has to do with um, one of the foundational documents that we have in, um, in Buddhism, and it's called the Heart of Great Perfect Wisdom Sutra. Um, many of you might have heard of the Heart of Great Perfect Wisdom Sutra. It's one of the first ones that was ever recorded um, somewhere around 2,000 years ago. We think it was written down for the first time. And um, it gets to the heart of what um, I wanted to talk about this evening, which is about how the compassion and the compassion practice is actually the context for vision. And vision, as we know, is incredibly important for understanding that universal question of, what should I do now? In this moment, what should I do? What should I do with my life? What should I do in my relationships? What should I do at work? What should I do with my free time? How should I volunteer? What social causes should I be involved in? How should I be educating myself? What spiritual paths should I be on? All of those questions that we have. Human beings have questions. How do I make this a better world?
1: How do I suffer less? We would all like to see the answers to these things. And so this
0: document starts off with telling us about compassion. And I don't want to read the whole document to you. In fact, the entire answer is given in just the first sentence. So that's a pretty easy one. Um, and the, it starts off with this long word, or this long two words, Avalokiteshvara bodhisattva. Avalokiteshvara bodhisattva. Now, I'm not going to get too deep into unpacking the uh, theological threads on this. But the thing I want to point out is that this document, which is the most read document in all of Buddhism, in most monasteries around the world that are Buddhist monasteries that, that do any sort of chanting practice, this is chanted every day. And it's chanted here at San Francisco Zen Center every day. And it starts off with Avalokiteshvara Bodhisattva. Avalokiteshvara, bodhisattva, is the bodhisattva of compassion. And a bodhisattva is um, a type of, um, an archetype, if you will, of how a person might live their life, where as opposed to Michael, me wanting to be enlightened, um, and I am seeking Buddhism so that I can suffer less and I can move into some sort of a much nicer state, I am practicing so that other people might actually suffer less. And so that's a bodhisattva. A bodhisattva is actually trying to engage other individuals. And Avalokiteshvara bodhisattva is the type of bodhisattva that put together is the bodhisattva of compassion. That is, that is their, their central practice. And there's different statues that have iconography that, re, that um, um, reflect and manifest that. And some people in some forms of Buddhism take these literally like um, this is a, a deity. But in most cases, it's taken as an archetype and something that is symbolic of a way of being. And this is the very beginning to the Heart of Great Perfect Wisdom Sutra the Heart of Great Perfect Wisdom Sutra. And the first sentence reads, Avalokiteshvara bodhisattva, when deeply practicing prajnaparamita, clearly saw that all five aggregates are empty and thus relieved all suffering. So there's a lot of words in there, and I don't want to go any further into the document than this first sentence. But that last part is something that interests most of us, which is, Thus relieved all suffering. That is a huge statement. Thus relieved all suffering. Avalokitesh Bodhisattva, the Bodhisattva of compassion. When deeply practicing Prajna Paramita, this is a way of living that is the perfection of wisdom. Clearly saw that all five aggregates, the way in which we um, Engage the universe, um, the five different aggregates being the ways of, um, you know, sight and touch and, um, you know, mental thought. And the, so the five aggregates, the ways in which we're engaging the universe, Avalokiteshvara Bodhisattva, the Bodhisattva of compassion. When deeply practicing the perfection of wisdom, or your Buddhist practice, if you will, your Zen practice, your Young Urban Zen practice, your Zazen practice, clearly saw that all the ways that we engage in the universe, this whole practice and the way that we engage relieves all suffering. But the context for our practice is Avalokiteshvara Bodhisattva. That actually is like, the whole document is a statement by Avalokiteshvara Bodhisattva, the Bodhisattva of compassion. If everything is interrelated, then learning how to empathize and relate with others is great training for seeing what is happening in our universe. We can't act skillfully, meet a situation or do something or not do something without some form of insight. So if everything is interrelated, then learning how to empathize and relate with others is great training for seeing what's happening in the universe.
1: We can't act skillfully or meet a situation without some insight or know how not to
0: act. And this is a gradient scale. It's not like I arrive and I see how to meet you. I arrive and I see how to listen to you.
1: I might see 5% or 6%. It's infinite how you might see through something. But through the practice of the
0: interrelatedness of who we are, we start to be able
1: to understand and see what's going on. For instance... If all you saw was a wave on the ocean and you didn't understand
0: water and you didn't understand rain and you didn't understand evaporation and you didn't understand tidal poles and gravitation and all you saw was a wave, you might think if that was the first time you ever saw water or a wave, you might think that the wave was a thing that was solid. But you have enough wisdom to see through it, that the form is a wave, but the form is empty. It's completely empty. Because you know that there is no such thing as a wave. The wave changes shape every single second. And the wave is just made up of a whole bunch of water. But you know that water isn't stagnant. It fell from the sky at some point in time. And those clouds didn't have water falling from them at some time before that. It was this whole narrative that created that wave, that one moment that you were looking at. But you have the wisdom to understand all those different parts because you understand water and gravitation and molecules and sunlight and clouds. And so when you think of wave,
1: you don't think of something that is solid you think of something that is actually inherently empty. Something that has no permanence. Something that's form is just a form, but it's actually not a solid object. And seeing in this way It's a beautiful thing.
0: How awesome would it be if you could meet somebody and if you could touch their heart and you could see them, you could know them, not just all the stuff that they went through in the past, but you could really feel what was going on inside them. And you could embody what that would be like. And you could feel their joy and you could feel their solitude and you could feel their hope, and you could
1: feel their worry, that you could touch that, and you wouldn't just see the solid object
0: as, oh, there's a person, but it would be a multi-dimensional experience of something that is not set in stone, something that is not one piece, but something that is fluid and in motion and is
1: inherently empty, like the wave. What if we could connect like that? That's why
0: this practice is so valuable to the universe is that we
1: have this compassion practice that we start with first ourselves and then other people that we have some sort of concern
0: about friends, family, and then folks that maybe we don't really know that well and we feel sort of neutral to.
1: And then the far end of the scale, the people who wish us harm, the people that oppress us or ignore us. And to not force it, but to actually have it come forth,
0: that is advanced practice, and that's what the Heart of Great Perfect Wisdom Sutra is about, is that starting with compassion and a compassion practice, we start to develop wisdom, we start to see through the five aggregates, all the ways in which we experience the universe. And we start to see the emptiness and the connectedness of it all. And then we start to realize that suffering for ourselves and others starts to cease, starts to recede, starts to go away. Compassion is the starting point for ending universal suffering. And because, like in the first line of the Heart Sutra, We learn that compassion and wisdom are intertwined. We realize that we can't have wisdom if we don't see, and we can't have seeing
1: without compassion. And what happens when we see? Well, then things start to get more clear And when
0: things get more clear, human beings tend to calm down, not just a little bit on the outside, but they tend to calm down on the inside. And I don't know if you've ever suffered anxiety or been anxious, but a lot of people do. And how great is it to feel calm inside? And when I feel calm inside, it is so much easier to have space for other people. And now we've come full circle back to compassion. Compassion and wisdom are intertwined. Wisdom and clarity are intertwined. Clarity and calm are intertwined. Calm and spaciousness for others are intertwined.
1: Spaciousness and compassion are intertwined. And then we've come full circle. So what are the things that allow us to embrace compassion so that we might see? There are compassion practices that we can do, both physical and mental.
0: But first it starts off with ourselves, And it was what we were doing when we were sitting Zazen. And just learning to be with our own monsters and demons and not to go to
1: war with them. To sit and to let whatever comes up, come up.
0: And to learn to cultivate compassion first with ourselves. Asking ourselves a question, if I raised someone to age
1: five with a voice that's inside my head, Would that be a healthy human being? Starting off with compassion, understanding that our flaws
0: were not self-chosen and that we did not create a project plan to feel angry or anxious or jealous
1: or worried or distracted. One of the key pieces to being with ourselves and with others is sincerity. So if you want
0: to think of like a compassion practice, think if there is a way in which I might not be sincere where I might hide
1: behind this or that, a persona, a lot of humor, Maybe irony, maybe sarcasm, maybe
0: um, being the person that's um, always um, um, deflecting and refusing to absorb a compliment. Have you ever felt uncomfortable when someone complimented you, wanted to push it away. Oh, it's nothing. Or, uh, well, everybody in my family's like that, just, you know. But um, one of the most interesting things I heard was being um, um, self-defacing, being um, in a way that is um, refusing to, to hear any good about myself is just as egotistical as bragging about myself. It's just feeling the other side of the coin.
1: And what is it to just be sincere in the moment and to nod and say, well, thank you. That felt good. I appreciate you sharing that with me. Have you ever played the game of the person you don't notice?
0: sometimes our vision is limited. And sometimes I play this game when I go down to um, BART, and I'm standing, our, our, um, our train system here in San Francisco. And um, somebody told me this, oh, 15 years ago at Zen Center during my class. And so I um, tried this out when I went home. And go into a crowd somewhere where you're standing and we all have a vision and we all have a bias. We all have people we look for and we notice, and we all have people that we don't look for and we don't notice. And just play that game sometime in public. Stand and look around and say, who would I not have noticed? Who would I not have noticed? And then think that person has been the center of the universe for their entire life for their entire life, they have been the ultimate center of the universe. And I wouldn't have even noticed that person, that person that was just over there being quiet, minding their own business, reading their book, surfing their phone, doing their thing. And just notice sometimes how closed our bias can be and playing with that flexibility to just reach out and to open our scope and our radar for who's around us and what's going on with them. We played this game recently, not a game, uh, an exercise at, at Zen Center, and we sat in a circle, and we just spent two minutes in the circle, and you had to, to yourself, close your eyes and wish the person to your left goodwill. And, I mean, there's all sorts of things you can wish somebody, but, you know, I wish... Um, I wish them good health. I wish them encouragement. I wish them peace. I wish them a long life. I wish them wisdom. I wish them insight. I wish them love. I wish them companionship. I wish them relief from suffering. I, and you you just go on and on and on, but you've got the person sitting right there next to you, a human being that is breathing, intentionally connecting. And it was really interesting. Like after two minutes, This random person in our sangha, I just had this really kind of deep like connection to I felt like we just had like a really good conversation. I literally just put my mind and where we put our mind, we energize. And where do I put my, where is my mind being put? That's why I was talking about what is the voice inside and, and, and how would if someone raise the first five years of, of, of their life with a voice that's inside my head, whether or not that would be a healthy person is because when I'm sitting there in that exercise next to that person for two minutes, I am energizing compassion intentionally. That's where I am putting my mind. And if I'm putting it in criticism, if I'm putting it in sarcasm, if I'm putting it in pessimism, if I'm putting it in cutting somebody else down, if I'm making myself feel better by telling somebody else about how somebody else's narrative is all messed up and untrue, what does that do for me? It goes back to making me someone who doesn't see so well, because I now am seeing other people as others and I'm not seeing them as me. So it starts with compassion. Avalokiteshvara bodhisattva, the very beginning of the most quoted text in all of Buddhism, starts off with compassion so that they could relieve suffering. And so we put it in our body. We put it in our body by practicing it and doing it where we intentionally go there even when we don't want to i had a situation one time where i was forced to go there i was forced to be um i worked in the middle east years ago um, for a foundation and part of my job was to do goodwill connections at the grassroots level just after um the gulf um, conflict in 91 and um My job was to work at um, a sheltered workshop for um, individuals that had mental handicaps. And each day I rode there in a truck with a man named Nazi Hajazi. And Nazi, um, spelled N-A-Z-I, had a fierce temper and was just really not uh, fun to be with. And I had great friends um, in Jordan where I lived. But he had a a fierce temper. And my job actually was to ride with him to work every single day. He actually ran the shelter. And um, it was 40 minutes away. And so every day I got in the truck and I forced myself to make conversation and to think about what was going on in Nazi's life. I really didn't have any other choice. It was kind of my job. And um, he would sit there with the windows mostly rolled up smoking cigarettes one after the other. And um, I noticed that after two or three minutes every day, I actually kind of enjoyed talking to Nazi. I was just forced into a truck in the middle of a desert and I just had to be with him. And you know, sometimes that's what it's about is just
1: the willingness to try, to try. There's a
0: great experiment that they did where they took two groups of people and one group, they um, th- they were going to teach both groups how to play tennis. And one group, they gave lessons, tennis lessons to. And another group, they didn't tell them that they were trying to learn how to play tennis. And so for they told them that for um, six months, they were going to be paid to be extras in a movie. And what they needed to do is they needed to look like tennis players. And they needed to watch videos of professional tennis players and then they needed to go out and they needed to try to play tennis but no one really gave them much instruction they gave them a little bit of instruction but the main thing the main thing they told them was to look like a tennis player to move like a tennis player to between you know um, sets you know walk around like a tennis player hold your racket like a tennis player embody it So you can probably guess what happened in this experiment, but at the end of the experiment, and of course they were both playing tennis every day, but one of them without a really a goal of whether or not the ball landed in or out. And the people who were learning to embody the tennis player were the ones who hands down beat the other folks. And they all started as novices. But there's something about just putting your body into it, putting your mind into it and saying, I just want to embody this. And so oftentimes in my life, I'll think of people who are archetypes of compassion. I'll I'll think of them even when I'm in difficult situations and think of their spacious heart. Think of how they hold other um, individuals. I chose my teacher, Ryushin Paul Haller, when he was teaching a class years ago. And I asked him to be my teacher and I was just impressed with him. Um, I took a class from him and afterward he was doing Q&A. And um, there were several people that were really being kind of pedantic and critical. And it was just kind of like, eh, you know, he just delivered this nice class. And then there are these people that are picking this thing apart and he held it with such grace and such graciousness. And he just seemed, and the people just eventually melted and kind of like bonded with him, you know, and I can remember sitting there and thinking, I want to be like that. That's
1: the voice I want to have in the universe So the most chanted document in all of Buddhism is the Heart Sutra. The Heart of Great Perfect Wisdom Sutra is another word for
0: it, but it's the most chanted document in all of Buddhism. And it's the key to the relief of suffering,
1: the end of our pain and the pain of others. And it starts with the context of compassion. What cultivates compassion for you?